Thank you for joining us today. At ResLife, our mission is to develop committed followers of Jesus Christ to reach the world. Our content is created to equip and empower you in God's purpose. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, today, we're going to jump right back in. We're going to be talking about recalibrating and really looking at what has happened in our society recently with, with the turmoil, with COVID, with everything that's going on. So many people are discouraged. They're depressed. There's dread. There's fear. I, I just want to say that just because you're going through something, don't, don't think you're alone. You know, the Bible says no temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common. And, and whatever you're feeling, just realize that, hey, this is not abnormal. In fact, I was thinking about particularly about discouragement and depression. Uh, many great people. Abraham Lincoln was actually on suicide watch. I mean, they were watching him 24 hours a day. Uh, he had gone through a, a setback and then his fiance died. And, and he was on, he was literally on suicide watch. He was so depressed. Winston Churchill, probably one of the greatest people of the last century. Uh, he, he fought depression literally all his life. He would call it the black dog. The black dog is back. David, one of the, the, the greats of the Old Testament, said, why are you cast down on my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? And he says, hope in God, for you shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. Jeremiah the prophet, he's actually referred to as the weeping prophet because he, he kept on telling people what to do and they would not listen to him. Uh, he became so discouraged. He, he writes this at one point. He said, oh, that I had in the wilderness a lodging place for travelers that I might leave my people and go from them. Uh, he's basically saying, look, I want to get out of ministry. I want to get out of all this stuff because people are not listening to me. They're rejecting me. I'm going through so much disappointment. I just want to move to Arizona and run a hotel, a lodging place in a desert, right? He just says, just let me get away from everybody and everything that's so wrong. Jonah, the, the, the prophet, uh, he actually says to God, just take my life. And, and he comes in this depression. And it's interesting. It's because of Jonah's personal prejudice against the people of Nineveh that were more important to him. His prejudice was more important to him than the souls of 120,000 people. And he says, God, just take my life. You're having mercy on these raunchy people. Just take my life. Solomon. This, this one's his classic. He says, I hate my life. Anybody been there? I just, he says, I just hate my life. Now, it can happen. In fact, I think it's interesting that, that one of the clinical definitions of depression is anger turned inwards. Anger turned inward. In other words, you can, you, can, you can probably spot it by your self-talk. How many of you know we all talk to each other? I mean, on the inside, we're talking. You're talking to you. I'm talking to me. And there's some things, when things are going like, you are such a loser. You're an idiot. You can't do anything right. You are so pathetic. You know, everything that's going wrong in your life is only half of what you deserve. You know, when that kind of self-talk is going on, uh, it is a sure sign there's depression. Some of the signs, your motivation is gone. Your, your hunger and your fire to pursue the things of God, it just dries up. It's gone. 
It, when you look at something, you only see the thorns and you don't see the roses. All you, every place you look, it's just, you, you just see the bad. Your conversation is negative and sour. And of course, that's especially including your self-talk. You don't see your current blessings. You can be blessed in so many ways, but all you see are the negative things. Your enthusiasm, it's fake. It's forced. You got to work it up. And here's a big one. Your future plans, they seem to just be really foggy or they're gone or they're dazed. You don't see the future breakthrough coming. You don't see the fact, well, I've been doing right. I've been sowing and I'm going to reap what I sow. The Bible says God's not mocked. Whatever a man sows, he will also reap. But when we begin to think wrong, it's a, it's a, it just tells us where we are. The Bible says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. As you think in your heart. So addressing that, God says this, Isaiah 61, excuse me, 61, Isaiah 26 and verse three. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. So, so no matter what the situation is, no matter the obstacles that you're facing, God says you can be in perfect peace. But it depends where your mind is. So you can't be thinking negative thoughts and have perfect peace. In fact, the reason God gave us a Bible was to correct our thinking. Romans 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world. Don't be like the world. But be transformed or be changed. One translation says it this way, by changing the way you think. Another translation says, you know, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, changing how you think. Now, if we can think right, we can have perfect peace. Now, Jesus said this, John 14, verse 1. He said, do not let your heart be troubled. Don't let your heart be depressed. Don't let your heart be discouraged. Don't let it be troubled. But now here's, what, here's where we live. People say, yeah, but that's what I feel. I feel that. So that's my reality because I feel it. Well, Jesus said, don't let yourself feel that. Now, how do, you, how do you not feel that? Well, here's what we believe. Most of us believe that our feelings determine our thoughts. But the Bible says that your thoughts determine your feelings. Jesus said, do not let your heart be troubled. He says, you're thinking about the wrong things. Over here in Isaiah, it says, you'll keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on on him. You see, he said he will never leave you and never forsake you. And let me remind you, when he said leave, it means to physically leave. But to forsake means to turn his heart away from you. God said, I'm never physically going to leave you. How many of you felt like God was distant? He wasn't. How many of you felt like God was mad and rejecting you? He wasn't. He said, I'll never turn my heart away from you. You see, you are who God says you are. You can do what God says you can do. And you have what God says that you can have. You can have it. But if you're going to look at what the world tells you, you are going to be discouraged. Let me just say it like this. 
I, I, I want to be nice, but if, if your intake on the world's perspective, if your intake on new, the, the world's news and the, the world's entertainment is greater than your intake of the word of God, your depression is self-inflicted. Is it any wonder if your mind is not stayed on him, on his promises and his love and his redemption, who he says you are, what he says you have, you're going to be depressed. This world is a mess. It's a mess. And when we let them tell us how to think and how to feel, is it any wonder we're a mess? We need to find out what God says. Don't be like the world, but be transformed by changing the way you think. The Bible is supposed to change how we think, right? That's why the Bible says you need to meditate in his word day and night, day and night. When we do it God's way, we'll get God's results. In Philippians 4, verse 8, the apostle Paul writes, to the church in Philippi. And he says, finally, brethren, I would just like to say the church in Grand Rapids, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of a good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think or meditate on these things. See, when we meditate when we focus on the right things, our thoughts are going to change your feelings. And don't let you, the, the, the world tell you, well, that's what you feel. Because you can change what you feel by changing the way that you think. Isaiah 14 and 3. The Lord will give you rest from your sorrow. When we keep our mind focused on him and on what he promises us, no matter how dark it is, the Bible says the entrance of your word brings light. It doesn't matter how dark your circumstances are. God says, look, my word will bring light and it will give understanding to the simple. In Psalm 7 and verse 14, it says, behold, the wicked man conceives evil, is pregnant with mischief and gives birth to lies. You conceive, you're pregnant, and then you give birth. Your feelings and your, your, your life does not just happen. You conceive, you're pregnant, and you give birth. In the New Testament, James is talking about the same thing. He says, let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God is not tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. And when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Gives birth to death. It's saying the same thing, right? First we conceive. Then there's this time where we're meditating on things. And after we meditate on it for a while, it gives birth. It gives birth. 
So as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So the Bible says to guard your heart with all diligence. And, and I just want you to think today, am I guarding my heart? Am I letting the world's propaganda in my heart or am I taking God's word, which is truth, and putting that in my heart? Because what you believe, listen, what you believe, what you believe, whether it's true or false, will determine how you feel. You say, I don't believe that. Let me give you an example. Let us suppose that someone who's very dear to you lives in another state and someone comes and says to you, they just died in a car automobile accident. How many of you know you will experience some feelings? You will have some thoughts, even though it's a lie. You can believe a lie. And when you believe a lie, you will act in accordance with what you believe. And uh, we're going to look at the, one of the great prophets uh, in just a little bit who believed a lie. And because he believed a lie, he acted on the lie. So, so what we've got to do is we've got to be sure we're thinking all of the right thoughts and you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. So Jeremiah, the prophet, is prophesying to the children of Israel who've literally turned away from God and they're worshiping the sun and they're worshiping uh, other false gods. And he says, you need to repent and come back to God. And the people don't listen. In fact, he says, if you don't repent, he said, the day is going to come when the king of Babylon is going to come and he's going to destroy the city and take you captive. And remember, he's called the weeping prophet. He, he, he's, he literally is just crying because nobody's listening and he knows what's going to happen. Well, sure enough, the Babylonians come, they capture the city, they take the people captive. Daniel and his three friends, there's some of those that were taken captive. When the city fell, Jeremiah gave them a word from the Lord. And he says, thus says the Lord. He said, pray for the city where you're being taken. Plant vineyards and gardens. Give your sons and daughters in marriage. Have children and pray for this place because as this city prospers, you're going to prosper and I am going to visit you and I'm going to bring you back to your own land. And I won't leave you and I won't forsake you. That's a good prophecy, especially for somebody in their condition. Psalms 137 says, by the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down and we wept when we remembered Zion. Now, instead of looking at the prophecy that Jeremiah has given them, they look back and they said, you know what? We should have listened. And if we had listened to the prophet, well, this person wouldn't have died. Our city wouldn't have been taken. We wouldn't be here as captives. And it says, we hung our harps in the willows in the midst thereof. And there, those who carried us away captive asked us a song. And those who plundered us required of this mirth, saying, sing one of the songs of Zion. Now, because of their depression and because they're thinking on the wrong things, they aren't able to worship God. You know, you can get so depressed. People around you are like, hallelujah. You're just like, they're hypocrites. What are they rejoicing about? Don't they know how bad it is? You know, and literally, instead of looking at the promises that God gave them, that he was going to bless them and bring them back to their land, they look at what could have been and should have been and might have been and ought to have been. How many of you could look backwards and go, ooh, it could have been better. I could have done better. If I had, if I hadn't. And, and we can all do that. 
but because they look back, they're depressed. They can't worship God. And that they're, they're really missing out on what God has for them. Now, Elijah the prophet is one of the big four. Right? In the Old Testament, the big four are Abraham, Moses, Elijah, and King David. Those are the big four. Right? This, this, this was God's man. Right? And again, the children of Israel, they're worshiping Baal, false gods. He's prophesying. Nobody's listening. And the Bible says God sent him to King Ahab. And he said, as the Lord God of Israel is before whom I stand, there will be no rain and no dew these years except at my word. But we thought this kook, who is he? He's nuts. He walks out and there's no more rain and there's no more dew. And the Bible says the king is looking for him everywhere sends to all the nations around and is looking for him. But God told him, he says, go hide by the brook cherub. And he says, and every morning and every evening, they're going to bring you a whopper. The ravens. Well, he said, bread and meat. You know, put a little ketchup on there. You got a whopper. <laughs> sure enough, every morning, every night, the ravens show up. They're feeding him. But finally, the brook dries up. And the Lord said to him, now, he says, go to Seraphath. That belongs to Sidon. He said, and I've commanded a widow woman there to provide for you. You know the story. He gets there and sure enough, there's this widow lady out gathering some sticks. And he says, please bring me a glass of water. And she says, sure. And as she's going, he says, and would you make me a little cake and bring it to me? And she says, as the Lord your God lives, I have only a handful of flour and a little bit of oil in the bottom of a cruise. And I'm gathering these sticks. I'm going to make a little cake for my son and a little cake for me. And we're going to eat them and we're going to die. How many of you know that's not what you'd really call a great faith statement? <laughs> we're going to eat this. We're going to die. He says, well, go and do just as you've said, but make me a little cake first and bring it to me. Now, I am so glad that there were no TV reporters there to hear that one, because I tell you what, they would have crucified the prophet. She said, he said, because this is what the Lord says. You put God first. And every day that you put your hand in that flower, there's going to be more. And every time you turn that cruise, the oil's going to keep on pouring. Well, she went and did, as he said, made that cake. And the Bible says that she and her son and the prophet ate for many days, a continuous miracle. Then her son dies and the prophet first time, first time ever raises somebody from the dead and gives her her son back. Then the Lord says to the prophet, I want you to go show yourself to Ahab, go to Mount Carmel and say, Ahab, get all your 450 false prophets, make an altar, put a sacrifice on it, and pray that Baal answers by fire. And I will make an altar, and I'll put a sacrifice on it, and I'll pray. And the God that answers by fire, he's God. And Ahab and all the people said, that sounds good. So they go to Mount Carmel. I think we've got a picture of, of Mount Carmel. In fact, this picture is taken uh, 
right from the spot where they believed that the prophet called down fire from heaven. And right in front of it is the, the, the valley of Armageddon or the valley of Jezreel. Right? So he calls down fire from heaven. He prays, fire comes down, consumes the offering, burns up the stones, burns everything up. All the people fall down and say, the Lord, he's God, he's God. They grab the 450 false prophets. They kill the 450 false prophets. He goes up on top of the mountain, prays, and God sends this storm coming out of the Mediterranean Sea, and it's dark, and there's lightning, and there's thunder. And he says to the, to the king, he says, hurry up, get in your chariot, and get back to town, because the rain is going to stop you. And the Bible says, he actually says, girded up his loins, took his whole outfit, and outran the king's chariot for 18 miles. Now, how many of you know this is a good day so far? I mean, you, you, your, your fires come down from heaven. You killed the false prophets of Baal. You prayed, and the rain comes. You outrun the king's chariot. Good day. All right. Here's what the Bible says. Then that wicked woman, she sent word to him and said, by this time tomorrow, you're going to be dead, just like one of those, false, one of those prophets of Baal. And listen, this is what the King James Bible says. I love the way it puts it. It says, when he saw that, when he saw that. Now, she sent word, but he saw. Because you see in pictures. Now, if I say dog, in your mind, there's not D-O-G, right? In your mind, there's a dog, some dog you know. You're picturing that dog. But if I say a big dog, it might change. If I say a big black dog, it's going to change again. And I say a big black dog with no tail, it's going to change again, right? The picture keeps changing. But when you hear something, you picture it on the inside. And when he saw the picture of himself being killed, the Bible says he turned. Now, God's plan was for him to overthrow that wicked queen, turn Israel back to God. But he turned because he saw something. And listen, it's true about you. It's true about me. We're always ultimately going to move in the direction of our dominant thoughts. Got it? You're going to move in the direction of your dominant thoughts. That's why meditating his word day and night, not just on Sunday, day and night night. So he turns and runs out in the desert for three days, ends up under a broom tree, just kind of a little shrub. And he says, God, kill me. Just kill me. I'm no better than my father's. Just kill me. I'm all alone. Now, if he had really wanted to die, he could have just stayed where he was, right? Because Jezebel, that wicked queen, she was ready to take him out, but he didn't really want to die. But he ends up at the Mount of God. And as he's there at God's mount, he's complaining to God. And he's saying, God, I'm the only one that's left. He said, and now they're trying to give, now they're trying to kill me. He's depressed. He's alone. He's suicidal. He's lost sight of his purpose, his mission. And he's lost sight of all that God's already done. 24 hours before he ran, God has done four phenomenal miracles but he's not looking at what God had done. He's just looking at that picture on the inside of his mind. He goes to God's mount and he says, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts. 
For the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, turned down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword, and I alone and left, and they want to take my life. Poor me. I got it bad. God shows up. I think it's interesting. It says, first thing that happens, there's a great wind. It says, God's not in the wind. There's an earthquake. Rocks are broken apart, but God's not in the earthquake. Then it says there's fire, but God's not in the fire. And then there's a still small voice. And God is in the still small voice. I say, we want something spectacular from God. Hey, this is God speaking to you. We want an angel. We want a miraculous sign. God, if it's your will, let three camels walk through the sanctuary. We're looking, we're looking for something spectacular, right? But it's the still small voice. Now, the Bible says that God will light my candle. He speaks to you on the inside in your heart. It says the spirit of man is the candle of the Lord. God speaks to your heart, right? He speaks down on the inside. And so that still small voice begins to speak to him. And he says, I'm the only one that's left. And this is what God says to him. Return now on your way from the wilderness to Damascus. And when you arrive, anoint Heziel to be king of Syria. Then anoint Jehu to be king over Israel. And then Elisha, the son of Saphat, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. Yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knee have not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him. 7,000. Now, listen, this is really important. There are 7,000 people that are serving God and the prophet doesn't know one. He doesn't know one of them. He's isolated. And when you're isolated, you're insulated from all the help that God wants to give you. See, Proverbs 18 in verse 1 says, the man that isolates himself seeks his own desire and rages against all sound judgment. You and I were not created to be isolated. You were created for relationship. You were created for community. And iron, the Bible says, sharpens iron. It says that if you walk with wise people, you will become wise. See, we weren't created to, to, to live life alone. In fact, the Bible tells us in Corinthians that when you become a Christian, the first thing that happens is the Spirit of God takes you and baptizes or immerses you into the body of believers, into the body of Christ. We aren't supposed to be alone, but there's 7,000 people and the prophet doesn't know one of them. Is it any wonder he's out there, God, I'm the only one that's left and nobody else loves you anymore. Nobody else is serving you and, and they're all after me because he was alone and we're alone. We don't get the strength that comes from being together. And then God gives him an assignment. Now, here's what I think is great. He has just blown it. He was supposed to take out that wicked queen and he turned and he ran. But when he starts to listen to God again, God says, okay, now here's what you do. Go and anoint this guy to be king of Israel, this guy to be king of Syria, and this guy, listen, this guy, Elisha, to be prophet in your place. And he takes Elisha. He becomes his mentor. And for the next 20 years, every time you find Elijah, you find Elisha. 
So what did God do? He gave him companionship. And then he gave him a new assignment. Now, how many of you have ever felt like you really missed God on something? Right? You know what? So did the prophet Elijah. Do you know what the first thing God does is he gives him a new assignment. He just takes him where he is and says, all right, you missed it on that one. Here we go. Let's take off again. God will do the exact thing that you may have missed it. And you think, man, God's never going to use me again. No, nothing could be farther from the truth. Nothing could be farther from the truth. Right now. Let me. This is my first closing. My first closing. All right. Jesus, Jesus uh, goes to his hometown of Nazareth. And he opens the, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah to what we call chapter 61. And it's a prophecy about the Messiah. And he begins to read it. And uh, he, this is probably what he read every place that he went to begin his ministry. And he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. And he says, I'm here to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, to comfort all who mourn in Zion, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, and the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness or depression. Now, the Bible says this, that God wants to make an exchange. He wants to give you the garment of praise instead of the spirit of depression. Depression and praise do not coexist. When we begin to praise God, when we begin to thank God for who he is, for what he's done, it lifts us. I was just reading this. I was reading the ESV Bible this week, and a verse jumped out at me that I'd never seen before. And I thought, boy, that fits. It's, it's Psalms 33.1. It says, shout for joy in the Lord Oh, you righteous praise benefits the upright. We'll say that again. Praise benefits the upright. Praise doesn't just benefit God, but praise benefits you. Praise benefits the upright. It lifts you. It recalibrates you. It uproots your unbelief and your doubt. It is a weapon Literally, a weapon against the enemy, right? And God, literally, how can we say this? Praise is God's address. He inhabits the praises of his people. And when we begin to praise him, begin to thank him, begin to worship him, God shows up. He shows up. Praise benefits the upright. It is to your advantage to praise the Lord. Now, the Bible says in, in uh, Hebrews 13 to give the sacrifice of praise. So that means when you don't feel like it, when you don't see it, you need to begin to praise more than any other time because praise is his address. He shows up when we begin to praise. In Psalms 8 in verse 2, it says, you ordain strength because of your enemies that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. It's out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants you ordained strength. Psalms 8. Jesus quotes it, but Jesus says it a little bit differently. He says, you have perfected praise. You have perfected praise. Why? Because of your enemies, 
to silence the enemy and the avenger. When we begin to praise God, it shuts the devil up. It shuts the devil up. Right? They were saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Right? It crushes the enemy's foothold. It takes that stronghold and it crumbles. Now, in, in uh, Ezra chapter 3, Ezra is coming, he's building the temple. And the Bible says when they laid the foundation of that temple, it says they begin to shout. And they said, for he is good and his mercy endures forever towards Israel. All the people shouted with a great shout and they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. What we typically do is we don't want to praise until the foundation has been laid, the walls are up, the roof is on, and there's a dedication service. Right? But when they just saw the foundation, you say, well, I prayed for healing and I'm only 20% better. Woo! Time to praise. Time to give some thanksgiving. You don't need to wait until you see the full manifestation. You need to begin to praise God immediately. Immediately. In fact, everybody stand up. We're going to take a praise break. I'm not done yet. All right. My second closing is coming in just a minute. I want you to lift your hand and just shout this. For the Lord is good. And his mercy endures forever. The Lord is good. And his mercy endures forever. He'll never leave me. He never forsakes me. God, you're awesome. All right, sit down, sit down. Second Chronicles chapter 20. Now it happened. Jehoshaphat is king. And it happened after this that the people of Moab, the people of Ammon, and others besides them came to battle against Jehoshaphat. So he's got the Moabites, and he's got the Ammonites, and others, at least two others. How many ever felt like you had too many enemies at one time? Too many problems at once. You know, I always say just, I always just want one front. I just want one, right? In fact, Germany, their, their big mistake in the Second World War was to have two fronts. They had the Eastern front and the Western front, and they were divided. But sometimes you've got problems that's in your family. You've got problems in your body. You've got problems with your finances. You've got problems at work, and they're coming at you in every direction. All right, we need to look. This is what he did. When it happened, it says, and Jehoshaphat feared. How many of you ever had some fear? Been depressed. Like, what's going to happen? He had fear. And look what he did. This is what we need to do. And he set himself to seek the Lord. When the fear, the fear is not wrong, but you got to react to that fear. Right? How do you do it? You go to God, right? And he proclaimed a fast and all the people get together and they pray. And then Jehoshaphat stood up and he said, hear me, O Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, believe the Lord, your God, and you'll be established, believe his prophets and you'll prosper. And they consulted together and they made this decision. Let's take the choir and put the choir in front of the army and let the choir attack the enemy by singing. Does that sound like a dumb strategy? 
In the natural, that made no sense, right? No sense at all. But they put the choir in front of the army as the four minimum of four enemies are coming against them. And the Bible says that when they did, God showed up. They began to sing and to praise. And the Lord sent ambushments against the Ammonites, the Moabites, Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, and they were defeated. In fact, they turned on each other and defeated themselves. Now, I'm going to tell you something. I'm starting to preach myself happy. Yep. See, when we begin to praise and we begin to worship, he inhabits the praises of his people. And literally, again, praises his address. And when God shows up, God moves on your behalf. He defeated the enemy, and all they needed to do was go out and take the spoil from the battle. Jesus said that perfected praise, it silences the enemy and the avenger. And I I really believe this. I, I believe that we live in a society that is a very ungrateful society. But we need to begin to praise and we need to begin to thank God. And when we do, he shows up in our life, in our situation. All right, would you please bow your heads for just a moment? And again, a group this size and so many watching online right now, there's people in all sorts of spiritual conditions. And there's some of you that right now, you are hungry for God. And you know, I, I, you, you need to get back to God. You need to stop living to please yourself. And what you're really looking for is you were created for relationship with God. A, a well was created to swim in the sea and a bird to fly, but you were created for relationship with God. And Jesus said, when you come to him, he will give you that abundant life. That's why he came. He wants to bring you into his kingdom. He wants to live in you and he wants to live through you. And if you're that person who says, I'm done with my past and I want to be a part of Jesus' kingdom, I want him to save me. I want him to rescue me. I want him to make me new and make me a part of his kingdom. I want you to pray this prayer out loud. So everybody, please take one hand, put it over your heart. Lift your other hand towards heaven and let's pray together. Just say, oh God, I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid for my sins. And I believe he rose again. And he is the victor over death, over sin, and over the devil. And I give him all of my heart and all of my life. I'm going to live for him every day. Thank you. My past is gone. That you've heard my prayer. That I'm a part of your kingdom today and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope what you heard today has been encouraging and given you new insight into the Word of God. We upload weekly. So join us again next time. Be blessed and enjoy your week.